Hello and welcome to this Gig Economy Project podcast. My name is Ben Ray. I'm the coordinator of the Gig Economy Project. And today we're going to talk about Sweden. Sweden goes to the polls on 11th of September, an election that comes in the midst of Europe's twin economic and geopolitical crisis, with the war in Ukraine rumbling on and inflation surging across the continent. What could the election mean for Sweden's gig economy? A new report by GigWatch, a non-profit initiative to examine the reality of the gig economy in Sweden, looks at the attitude of Sweden's main political parties towards the gig economy and analyses the prospects for regulatory change following the election. Today we are joined by Felix Soderberg and Jacob Lundberg, trade union activists and members of GigWatch, to discuss all of this and more. Jacob, Felix, thank you very much for joining the podcast today. Thank, thank you. you for inviting us. So first, before we get into the, the detail of the report, um, can you just start by giving us a, an overview of the gig economy in Sweden, what, what it looks like, how it's developed over time? Yeah, sure. Should I start? Um, so um, the gig economy uh, got to Sweden a bit later than to the US and the UK. Um, I think uh, I, I first heard of it uh, in uh, like 2013 or 14 or something like that. Uh, and then uh, I think the first big company that got established was Uber. Um, and they also uh, had a bit of a controversy where they launched a, a service uh, which didn't comply with like Swedish taxi laws which led to a lot of taxi drivers uh, getting fined. Um, but uh, then after that, uh, it kind of exploded. So then you had all these uh, different delivery companies coming to Sweden and a lot of other smaller uh, ones providing different kinds of services. And um, there have been some like attempts to estimate how many people in Sweden are working in the gig economy uh, and uh, they have varied quite a lot so some have said like 10 percent of all people but uh, that's a very generous estimation i think um, there was recently a book published uh, where the author had compiled different uh, studies and uh, uh, he uh, he estimated that around two percent of the population were working in the gig economy in some way, um, like regularly. Um, and the biggest sector today is probably food delivery uh, and then other kinds of log logistics, like we have an app for driving trash to the recycling center and uh, this kind of stuff. Um, I haven't really seen any studies on uh, this uh, cloud work or uh, digital gig work in Sweden. Um, but like from anecdotal evidence, I know uh, there are a few people working in that as well, but I don't know to what extent. Uh, and the biggest gig company here, I would say is uh, Fedora. They're uh, German, uh, they're actually founded by a Swedish guy, but uh, in Germany. And I think today lives in Switzerland, um, but they have become they have become kind of this uh, 
emblematic gig company. So uh, when people talk about the gig economy, they say Fedora. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah. Anything else you want to know? No, that's that's a pretty good, pretty good overview. Um, mm -hmm. So the report is based around the kind of questionnaire that you've done to the political parties in Sweden and some research around that about what their, you know, their views are on the gig economy and that sort of thing. Do I just let, let us know, you know, the kind of give us a broad summary of, of what your findings were? Do you want to? Right. Yeah, I'm sorry, my throat is a bit uh, badly, so I have a cough. <clears throat> but um, I mean, uh, in general, what we saw is that the, um, I mean, the traditionally more like right-wing parties uh, uh, were more positive towards these uh, the gig economy and see them more as you know like job creators uh, on the market, uh, <laughs> and they, uh, I mean, they recognize there are some problematic aspects of the gig economy, but. The solution to that is more to like um, to adjust the the, the labor market uh, the labor market rules to integrate it into like a permanent part of the Swedish uh, labor market. Um, and they you know they they also want more like the the state and the government want to like actively work to support gig uh, companies to fill out like the holes that they leave you know as when it comes to social security, uh, tax laws and things like that. So. Uh, and kind of cement like those employment forms that they have to uh, to to be able to give those people working in the gig economy uh, more social security and things and that's in that way kind of integrate it into the work market um, so yeah they are very like positive like the traditional right-wing party party somewhat uh, positive towards the gig economy while some others are a bit more critical to towards it, such as the social democrats and the left parties. Um, but also even the well, our most right-wing party, the Sweden Democrats, are quite critical towards it. Um, but uh, on that side, like it's generally a bit more, it's not like a collective uh, or like a one collected uh, view of it in that way that they are critical, but they, uh, they responded in different ways that um, um, they, I mean, some of them think that more like a uh, union organization is needed, uh, or like uh, the rules around the uh, uh, laws regarding like uh, union organization has to be uh, broadened to easy to make it easier for people who are working in these business companies employment forms to be able to. Uh, get organized in, in unions better and then solve the issues through the traditional ways of the Swedish model. Mm -hmm. um, so I think that's the general view of it. Yeah, but, but I mean, what we found is also that uh, these, uh, these parties that are positive towards the gig economy are way more active than those that are critical towards the gig economy, uh, which are very passive, which the exception of the most left-wing party, which uh, is a bit active, but not really as active as those parties that want to support mm -hmm. the gig economy, because um, these parties are like actively pushing different forms of uh, or different proposals to make it easier for these uh, companies to uh, continue and to get even more integrated 
uh, into the Swedish labor market. Um, and this is, um, I mean, this is a bit of a problem because uh, uh, on the, like, if you want to break down of the Swedish party system, we have like two kind of loose alliances uh, before the election in the fall. Mm-hmm. We have one that's a right-wing coalition, uh, which generally is very positive towards the gig economy and towards market uh, liberalism in general. Uh, and then you have a kind of left-wing coalition uh, that is mainly critical, but has one party in it that is um, pro the gig economy and very like uh, uh, very strongly uh, positive. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we we can't really say that uh, because we have an election coming up now in September, mm-hmm. uh, and we can't really say that you know uh, if the left bloc wins, the gig economy will. Uh, uh, get <laughs> get destroyed or something. Um, I mean, these are the parties that have governed Sweden for the entirety of the time that these uh, companies have become established in the country also. So, right. um, But okay. I think we can for sure say that if the right wins, uh, they will push a very, um, very friendly politics towards mm. the gig economy. Yeah, it's significant even because like this kind of is very loose uh, alliance to say like this uh, yeah. left, left block there are four parties in that, and three of those are like one is positive. Three of those, <laughs> like one is positive towards the gig economy and like actively pushing for it, and then two others in that are just very very passive. And but the three others are quite passive too. But there's like mm. one of them that has like any sort of suggestion, but or, like voice more critique to it. So uh, probably we won't be seeing much talk about it uh, for the election, and I would guess most. Uh, most parts on the left side will simply ignore it and the parts on the right side will probably just talk about more and about how to integrate it into the economy. Mm. So what is the current state of play um, in respect to regulation of of the gig economy uh, in Sweden as it stands? Like, For example, in the question of employment classification, um, what is the the current position of of the government in that respect? Um, so uh, we sent out um, a survey to the parties mm-hmm. and um, uh, the governing party, which is the Social Democrats, then they are the only party in the government uh, with support from some smaller parties. Um, they they are quite, you know, uh, they aren't very clear on what they want, so to say. Um, I mean... So it's basically unregulated as it stands. Yeah, it is. Um, Yeah, (laughs) you can basically say that. Uh, There's no regulation. Uh, I mean, we have this EU directive Mm -hmm. coming up, which uh, will probably like force them to to regulate it somehow. But um, I mean, basically their position is that uh, the EU directive shouldn't, (coughs) the EU directive shouldn't, regulate who is employed in Sweden. Uh, that is up to the Swedish uh, government or the Swedish state, but they don't really, they aren't too fond of regulating that through the Swedish state either. Um, so it's uh, very much uh, left uh, left alone. 
This is very interesting, I think, because you know I read in your report that the the one objection from a member state to the EU's platform work directive was from Sweden, mm. um, and as I understand it, that's because they are worried that the the Swedish model, which now you tell me if I'm wrong, but I understand it to mean basically um, a strong system of collective bargaining between employers and and unions, um, and the the if you introduce something like the platform work directive, where the government, the EU sets certain regulatory standards for gig workers, that undermines the principle that of collective negotiation. Is is that am I on the right path there? Yeah, you just said that the Swedish model is uh, based on that uh, uh, whatever uh, rules and whatever. Uh, uh, agreements uh, between workers and employers are made as between the workers and the, and the employers and the, uh, the state and the political party should not take part in uh, deciding anything there. Uh, so the, um, and that is based on like a long history of uh, very strong trade unions and uh, collective bargaining through through them. And with the EU directive, the um, this uh, labor committee uh, uh, have looked at it and said that they want to be uh, give a reservation. I'm not sure if you, I'm not sure if you call it that in English, but yeah, they have a. Uh, they mean that the, if this this directive, the EU, the directive from the EU Commission will go against uh, the subsidiarity principle and uh, mm-hmm. say that. Uh, these kind of things are best handled on national level because we have a because um, otherwise it will <laughs> yeah it, it will ruin our, our like model but it's um, even you know, like the the, the the reservation that's been left by the labor committee here is mostly supported by the right wing parts as well mm. um, um, so so like the protection about the Swedish model is coming mostly from that Labour committee and the traditional right-wing parties. Mm. Yeah, uh, in, in, this, uh, in this area at least. Mm. Because then you, can, uh, then you can say also that uh, what... Uh, I mean, what's been happening during the past uh, decades is that... I mean, the, the, the power balance in the labour market has shifted a lot. And... The, since the, the Swedish model or the Nordic model is based on this idea that there is a kind of, uh, um, how, do you, how do you say? Um, similarly strong forces. <laughs> yeah, exactly. exactly. There's a balance of similarly strong forces. That's the kind of the basis of the, yeah. the model. But since, um, since there has been like legislation that has undermined this model in like in kind of indirect ways that you don't really like see uh, a, a debate about this kind of stuff undermining the model, mm. but yet it does in an indirect way. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, so the power balance has shifted and, um, and now it's kind of like a very much in the favor of the employers uh, and their organizations. And I mean, the gig economy is just the latest uh, like incarnation of this uh, trend. Mm. Sorry, when you go, Felix. No, no. So I said, like, a lot of the 
like according to the Swedish model, the, everything's supposed to be handled by the employers and the workers. Um, but uh, as Jakob says, there has been a lot of legislation being made the last uh, 20, 30 years, much in favor of the employers, so, which have weakened the positions of uh, labor uh, labor unions and uh, and workers and is that like this gig economy stuff is just like the latest in that where the the people who work in the gig economy are mostly self-employed or basically seen as like their own uh, entrepreneurs their own um, like they have their own individual companies that they're only one mm-hmm. person employed and then which makes it according to how we traditionally organize uh, workers in unions, uh, it doesn't work if they have their own company of their self-employed. Uh, makes it more difficult with a labor organization. So even then they kind of end up outside this traditional way of uh, organizing labor and, have, and the outside this traditional Swedish model. Um, so the writing parties want to like cement this as a form of employment. Uh, and integrate it into the labor market like permanently mm-hmm. um, to to further like weaken Swedish model and and, and weaken the workers' position in in Sweden. Mm. So it's very interesting. So basically, as it stands, gig workers in Sweden are considered outside of the Swedish model because they're self-employed and therefore you know they wouldn't be considered to be part of a system of uh, collective negotiation with with their employers. Um, mm-hmm. Now the platform work directive will change that, and that's why it's seen as a potential threat to the Swedish model. Is there anything in that? Is there any like justification for them to argue that there's risks involved in the platform work directive for the wider Swedish model? Uh, I think uh, yeah, probably there is a. A risk of it threatening the Swedish model, and um, I think, like in an ideal world, uh, maybe uh, the labor market. I, I mean, maybe the Swedish model would be a better system in uh, in an ideal world where where there was a, a good power balance uh, or even a power balance in favor of the workers, mm. uh, because then it would be, of course, superior for pushing workers' demands than legislation. But um, but as it stands now, um, I I don't really think the, that <laughs> the Swedish uh, uh, system is handling this well, uh, and um, yeah, uh, yeah then it's, it's more a question if uh, about how how we view the Swedish model and how uh, how this kind of wholly st- status that it has in the Swedish mm. debate, if that's justified. Mm. Yeah, I feel like we're very like clinching on to the idea of the Swedish model more than what it actually means for workers today. But it's, uh, especially when there's a lot of uh, like very right-wing parties uh, to, that are arguing very much for the Swedish model and how important it is to keep this. But I mean, for them right now, as it stands, the, it works much more in the favor of the employers than, than the workers. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Wouldn't one alternative in Sweden be to um, empower the gig workers as employees and therefore force the platforms to negotiate with gig workers? 
Yeah. Would that, would that be one way around the problem? Yeah, I mean, uh, I mean, that's kind of like, like if, if you would have legislation that, um, that makes the gig workers uh, be classified as employees, mm-hmm. that, I mean, that in one way it overrides the Swedish model because you have legislation. Uh, but on the other hand, it strengthens the Swedish model because it actually provides the, the kind of ground or basis that uh, the workers can organize and uh, push their demands from. So it's kind of like uh, there's a bit of both in it. I, th- I think um, mm-hmm. I think the question is uh, like in in what way you want to preserve the Swedish model. Um, yeah, I mean, if they were to be seen and classified as employees, they would get access to all the social welfare system that we have, that is very like based on your employment status. Uh, so if you can see that, like, yes, the EU directive would help us to probably uh, categorize them as workers, uh, which would be in favor for them, of course. Um, and uh, what this uh, reservation from the uh, the labor committee here says is that. Um, that we shouldn't, yeah, we shouldn't let the EU tell who, who tell us who is like employed or not, and weak, and what the right-wing parties want to do here. Like, not only right-wing parties, since like a lot of left-wing parties are quite passive. Do is to say that, oh no, we can just like change the rules like uh, surrounding the self-employment status, and just make sure that the people who work with this kind of employment status also has access to social welfare systems and insurance mm-hmm. and stuff, uh, which would like. Uh, according to them, solve the issues, you know, like the whole says left, but I mean, that creates other issues because then we just legitimize this as, you know, as a form of uh, employment. So they get access to like welfare stuff, uh, welfare, uh, social welfare uh, um, insurances and other things, but their status as workers would still be uh, very weak and would uh, hinder uh, uh, labor organization, labor union organization. Mm. Mm-hmm. So, so it kind of creates a, a situation where, where like the, the the system or the state is keeping the gig workers alive and uh, like helping helping them they claim, but in reality, they're just helping the gig companies uh, to uh, like uh, survive without uh, hiring, uh, uh, you know, someone to. Uh, uh, take care of the wages or like administrative personnel mm. and in, instead uh, instead the state is doing that um, mm-hmm. but but uh, I mean what would be preferable especially in the in the context of the Swedish model is of course that uh, these workers would like be able to unionize and uh, uh, create some kind of more you know institutional power not just get some like uh, support yes so and 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 on that is there examples of gig workers organizing collectively in sweden yeah um we have uh, we, we had uh, we actually have uh, the biggest gig company in sweden actually signed a collective bargaining agreement last year uh which was um kind of a ridiculous thing because um like the same day as they signed the agreement, uh, um, it uh, it came out that uh, that this company Fedora uh, they had like a side company 
where a lot of the people at the company were employed. Uh, and these weren't, uh, these weren't part of the agreement. So you had like uh, hundreds or even thousands of workers there who were using this app to uh, deliver food and were delivering food in this company's clothes and with their logo and in cars with their logo, but they weren't employed by the company and uh, they weren't part of the uh, collective bargaining agreement. Mm. And in response to this, uh, some of the people who were involved in the, in the union, in the transport workers union who signed the agreement, they started a kind of non-union network uh, that was called RIOT. It stands for Riders of Track. Uh, and uh, they were like uh, pushing for, uh, you know, kind of creating uh, more movement within the union. Uh, to, um, to actually like, uh, I mean, build some kind of power against the company and to stop them from doing these kind of workaround uh, things. Um, but um, from what I heard, I think the, the company treated them quite harshly and uh, people got fired and uh, quit and so on. Uh, and and today uh, this situation is uh, actually worse than ever. I think now it's uh, the main part of the people working at this company, which uh, brags about their collective bargaining agreement. Most of the workers aren't uh, uh, included in it. Right. Okay. So it's become this kind of like uh, they can say, "Oh, we're the good guys." Yes. We have yes. the agreement, but then they actually. Uh, exclude very many people from it so mm. it uh, feels a lot like uh, just some kind of PR thing yes um, there's other examples of that in Europe and Britain and Spain as well mm. um, and what about the wider change in your movement does it have a, a position on, on this question of you know gig worker regulation what, what's its view uh, I think they've been quite uh, quite slow in reacting to the gig economy, uh, mm -hmm. sadly. Uh, but I think it's uh, getting a bit better, actually. And I think they're actually uh, like uh, better than the politicians at understanding the problems, uh, <laughs> which uh, maybe isn't that surprising. Um, so we have, the, I think, the most, in, the most active union in the debate around the gig economy is the Union of Transport Workers. Uh, since there is a lot of focus on these delivery workers, uh, even if they're not all of the gig economy. Um, but they recently published a, a report where they have this perspective where they accuse the gig companies of actually undermining the Nordic model uh, by making it harder for workers to unionize and mm -hmm. that mm -hmm. this system is like undermining the Swedish model, uh, which I think is... I think it's very good that they have this perspective and uh, are abandoning the perspective that uh, the Swedish model is only about this uh, non-intervention of the politicians. Mm. It's actually also about, you know, the having the like uh, foundation to organize from. Yeah, so there's, there's these two different perspectives on how the Swedish model has been undermined on the one hand you've got a perspective which says any interference from politics mm. undermines the model and on the other hand the trade unions are saying well the model is being undermined in practice 
by the fact that these workers can't organize and you know they'll be exploited by the platforms and presumably if these practices become more normalized and i think you said in the report that you know the number of people who are quote unquote self-employed in sweden is rising so if the, if the kind of gigification of the swedish economy becomes starts to become more normalized then that mm. also is a threat to to the swedish model and so so there's different ways of looking at, at, at how the Swedish model is under threat. Would that be fair to say? Yeah, definitely. Mm. So there's, uh, ah, yeah, you can. Sorry, no, continue. Um, no, maybe I'm just repeating what you said, but uh, there's definitely this, uh, these two ideas where, where one is that the Swedish model is primarily about this non-intervention of uh, politics in the labor market. And then there's this other one, which is kind of like, feels like the forgotten perspective, which is that it's actually about, um, you know, this power balance uh, between the workers and the employers. So has the recent developments um, that we've seen around, you know, the Uber files scandal, I'm not sure if there was any specific scandals in Sweden, maybe you can, you can let us know that. Um, there's wider turmoil in the gig economy with, you know, the inflation crisis. A lot of the food delivery companies are struggling, um, especially in grocery delivery. Um, has this turmoil starting to change the debate in Sweden about, about these issues, do you think? Um, I think we haven't really seen this uh, crisis hit Sweden yet, actually. Okay. Uh, so uh, I know that there has been a lot of stuff happening in like uh, Germany and stuff with uh, companies pulling out of the country and so on. Um, but I don't think it's happened in Sweden yet. But I mean, it probably will happen in time because mm-hmm. we have the same problems as most other <laughs> countries in Europe and uh, the US as well uh, with inflation and a bad economic situation. And Uber files, did you have any, was that, did that register in, in Swedish political life? No. <laughs> no? Oh. Uh, I, 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 mean, I mean, the Swedish uh, political debate is very, very uninterested in uh, labor issues, sadly. Um, right. Okay. It's uh, not discussed. <laughs> okay. Interesting. So yeah. we've got the election is just over a month away, 11th September. Um, I think you said in the report that the, the current government is likely to win again. Is that right? Uh, the kind of red, red green block is likely to win again. Um, but be, for the reasons that you've said, because they're quite passive on the issue, um, they're probably not going to act on it. Would that, would that be fair? Mm. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> 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 the short answer is yes. like no. Yeah, I mean, since they've been so passive, like uh, up until now as well, I assume that like after the election too, there won't be much action happening here because uh, even though they are like a kind of left uh, or green block, they and like a traditionally very large uh, uh, party for workers, like the social democrats, they still seem a lot of the legislation is kind of controlled and uh, by uh, other right-wing parties <laughs> because they too are very, you know, talk very much about how 
you know, you have to uh, get more people into work. You need to like uh, get everyone in, uh, like just for work, and that will solve most issues. And it seems like the um, the quality of the of the work or like the employment status doesn't really matter as long as it's they, they have a job, then it's good. Um, yeah, good statistics. Yeah, <laughs> and I, I think that's. Uh... That's common for both the right wing and for the social democrats, as you say. Um, but um, I, I think if there's going to be any change to that, uh, it's probably going to come from not from the politicians themselves, mm -hmm. but from uh, uh, a kind of uh, wider change in how we view work and stuff. I, I'm like one of the biggest Swedish unions actually decided this summer to uh, start. Um, pushing for a six day work week. Uh, and I think that's a kind of hopeful thing uh, because uh, if, if more unions uh, catch on to that, maybe that can, um, can push the social Democrats and the left block into a different direction. Um, mm. But I think it's, uh, that, that would be a quite long process um, because as it is today, of course, uh, the politicians really love uh, you know getting good statistics and the low unemployment and uh, you know nice uh, nice numbers mm -hmm. uh, and and the there the gig economy is uh, kind of a useful tool mm -hmm. because mm -hmm. you can get a lot of people that are uh, employed uh, in the papers but then they make very little money and have very mm -hmm. bad jobs mm -hmm. Joy, when you go. Oh, sorry. No, as I said, that like most, uh, like we don't expect much change coming from like the political parties, but from more like uh, grassroots or yeah, uh, like union uh, from the unions or from like other workers who are not currently in unions because, um, because tradition. I, I think a lot of people who are a bit more have a comfortable employment status and have a comfortable job and, and good salary, they are not interested really in talking about these issues too because it doesn't really affect them in ways and uh, so like the the active uh, like participation in, uh, in in unions is not, and it's not so high a lot of people are in unions but not so many people are actually active and and care much about <laughs> uh, the, these kind of union labor issues because here it's more of a, a service that you pay for monthly and you get help when you need to but usually you don't need it. it's just like a uh, a habit to be in the unions and <laughs> uh, so yeah we we're trying to get like the, to lift the issue more like especially to people uh, yeah like anyone who's working and to tell them that these things will affect everyone not just the people and in the at the bottom <laughs> of the pyramid but like even even you in the long run when your employment status is gonna uh, be, be assaulted yeah yeah because that's also uh, something we talk about in the report and in our analysis of the gig economy in general that uh, um, I mean in a lot of cases there's nothing uh, that's really stopping these uh, kind of uh, like models the gig uh, employment model from spreading into more sectors of society and um, I mean especially now when we're facing this economic crisis I think that's uh, increasing possibility that uh, that companies will try to implement some of these things that have been tried out in the gig economy in the 
logistics and the service sector um, for for their own companies and for you know cutting costs and so on. So um, uh, I think it's uh, getting more important than ever before to uh, actually you know lift this as a political question and as something that uh, that affects people in very many parts of society, not just necessarily those that work within the gig economy today.